agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hugs the government love. The government hugs the government love. The government hugs the government love. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland Area Attorney Jay Carson. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, how you doing? Well, I'm I'm feeling like a, there was a, a headline that that read. I can't claim this for myself, but uh, it's it's the morning after in America. There, there, <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Yeah, I I am feeling as if a, a certain weight has lifted. We will be talking about that. I am I am sure. But before we do get to our many topics of discussion for today. We want to thank our newest Patreon supporters, Jonathan, David, Andrew, Sherna, Keenan Lee, Jody Marie, Woody, Emily, Matthew, Patrick, and Derek, as wow. well as Joshua, Maggie, Sydney, and Josh, who increased their Patreon support for us. We really appreciate that. As well as uh, some new PayPal supporters, Edwin, and a very generous contribution from Kelly, thank you all. We it, it means an awful lot to us. These are uh, in, incredibly challenging times, certainly, and your support really helps us sort of keep on top of things and and do what we do. Uh, Derek, I want to mention, wrote in to say thank you for all the hard work you put into the show each and every week. It's a breath of fresh air to hear civilized debate in a time of great division. Each and every podcast makes an hour and a half commute go by in a snap. That's nice to hear that we are making your commute a little bit uh, a little bit better. Uh, and of course, if you want to be a Patreon supporter, you get not only that second full-length episode every week, you also get ad-free versions of all of our shows as well as other things at different levels of support. Check it all out. Just go to patreon.com slash politics, guys. And if you'd like our weekly bonus show, but you can't afford to support the show financially right now, totally not a problem. Just send me an email, mikeatpoliticsguys.com, and I will make that happen. And, of course, we also have our PayPal support option. And to find uh, out more about that, it, well, there's not much more to find out about, but there is a link, politicsguys.com slash support. And one thing, as always, that helps us out enormously and that is absolutely free that we really appreciate is spreading the word by sharing episodes on social media. It only takes a few seconds, and it is absolutely the best sort of advertising. All right, so with that, we'll start this week and about the place you'd expect us to start with the peaceful transfer of power. On Wednesday, January 20th, Joe Biden became the 46th president of the United States, and it was an inauguration day unlike well, any other, certainly in, in, in our memory, with the country you know, uh, ravaged by the pandemic two weeks after an attempted insurrection on the grounds of the very Capitol where President Biden was sworn in. And it was also, of course, the first inauguration not attended by the outgoing president in 152 years. So, Jay... Uh, what did you think about uh well let's start with the inauguration ceremonies and then you know maybe move into president biden's inaugural address so uh, you know i would say um and this this is me speaking as a uh conservative republican uh i think for the most part he he hit all the right tones and in in the ceremony and uh, and truth be told i didn't watch the whole ceremony just because i don't um you know want to got a day job um but 
No, I, I, I think it was, was generally well, well done, well put together. Uh, I think there was a, a uh, I think the, the nod to the lives lost in, um, uh, from COVID, uh, was, was appropriate. Um, I think in, in some ways, I mean, this, this allowed, um, sort of a, a, a better, easier, uh, less spectacular, if, if you will, um, inauguration just because, you know, the, the, the crowd size was going to be limited. The security was going to lim- be limited both because of uh, COVID concerns and, and security concerns. Um, so uh, generally I, uh, you know, if, if we're looking at the overall production value of the show, I, I think it, w- it was, was good. Um, on the, the speech itself, um, uh, I, I posted uh, in our, our discord group, I think uh, really pretty quickly after uh, I thought I thought was was very good. Um, I think again he hit all the right notes, um, and he uh, the delivery I think was was good also. I mean there there has been a you know lingering concern of of does Joe Biden still have it? Um, and uh, my my sense is that uh, yeah he he delivered on uh, on this speech. Um, I mean, you can, if you want to get into particulars or if you want to give your overall view before we hit particulars, we can do that. But, sure. Um, well, so yeah, shoot with your overall. Yeah. Well, I, I, bet I you liked it. I, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely liked it. Uh, you know, I, I think the, certainly it's a marked contrast to, uh, president Trump's inaugural address, the American carnage address after which, uh, uh, former president George W. Bush was reported to have said that was some weird shit. Um, you know, this is <laughs> pretty normal, right? And, uh, I think the main, you know, the theme of this one, democracy has prevailed and the main policy themes in there were things that I would have expected, you know, first and foremost, as you mentioned, the focus on the pandemic, uh, racial justice, climate change, and white nationalism. And those were, you know, things that I would have expected uh, President Biden to hit, and he did. And there were, you know, many, many calls for unity, calls to respect the truth. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm for I'm for all of that stuff. So, yeah, I I felt it was a great not address. The white, not, the, not the white supremacists. What's that? Well, no, I, yes, I, I thank you. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> just to be clear, just yeah. to be clear on that. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to make any sort of a difference uh, the, the idea of that we have presidential honeymoons anymore, I think has gone by the wayside certainly, but it was the sort of address that I would have expected. And that's exactly what we, you know, exactly what we got. Uh, what, so, well, actually, I would say one of the reasons I, I liked it actually was, was maybe this is maybe one of the reasons that, that you seem to like it more. Um, my sense was there there was not a ton of uh, policy stuff in there, um, which I think was was appropriate because look in an inaugural it's it's not a state of the union right it's not here's this program here's that program it's it's broader themes and it is more uh, aspirational of of uh, what we can do as as a people and the unity and I think I really think the unity uh, message was particularly important. Now, I mean, more than ever, this is that to, to me, if you want to take out all the other actual issues before our, our country, um, that's that's the big one. Right. Um, and I, I think you hit the right notes on that. Something else that that struck me uh, was the the frequent uh, mentions of, of God and uh, prayer, uh, which 
more so than you've seen in um, uh, you know any past inaugural that I can I can remember, even going back to uh, say Ronald Reagan. Um, and this this struck me, and I think this was would be reassuring to a lot of conservatives uh, who who see uh, uh, sort of the the left as a uh, if if not anti-religious, then at least sort of scoffing. And you know, there was the that it reassured a lot of Americans that that Biden did not view them as someone who's bitterly clinging um, uh, to their religion. Uh, and I, I do think that's 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 really important uh, in in sort of national healing. And I think it's important and in a bigger is more philosophical way. And so I'm on the one hand, I'll say, look, it's good politics. But I think there's also something that to be said of of everything we've been through in the last year. And regardless of one's religious beliefs or lack of religious beliefs, um, I think there's a lesson in, in humility that there's only so much. Um, anyone can do there's only uh you know there are a lot of big problems that that can't be solved by legislation or executive order or prevented by legislation or executive order and and in, in acknowledging uh some higher power there's there's sort of some humility to that right that it's it's uh, uh some things are out of our hands and we we just seek uh the the ability to do the best we can uh where we are so i i liked all all that part of it uh the start afresh um uh Again, that was a, a a welcome statement, right? That it's not about seeking revenge and so forth. Um, now we'll we'll get into this later, but it you know it, it troubles me a little bit that one of the first places he wanted to start afresh was at the uh, NLRB uh, General Counsel's office. But um, uh, that's you know that's 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 a different sort of uh, piece. So, but but generally, I I would I'd, I'd give him an A. All right. Wow. Well, you know. One, I'm hardened to hear that. Certainly, I, again, and, again, I have some, I have some issues coming up with what he actually did sure. after, immediately after that. And but. that, and that is my, you know, that that is my takeaway from. Well, I think a call for unity does not mean a call to just sort of, you know, give in to what the other side's policy preferences are. Certainly, and, and that's why I think. Again, I, I think it's it's good that you know you felt that this was a good address and a you know kind of return to sort of a normalcy that that sort of thing. But but also I think from a practical standpoint, it it doesn't necessarily have much of an effect, and that's that's too bad. You know, I, uh, President Biden said you know to 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 look, I guess to to listen to him, to hear him out, to to look into his heart or something like that. And and I just don't think that unfortunately really happens. There aren't too many people who are undecided at this point who are willing to give the the president the benefit of the doubt, whether that would have been President Trump or, or President Biden, because that's the America we live in now. Uh, and that's that's unfortunate. But oh, I, I would I would disagree. I think I think there are uh, people out there. Look, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, uh, but uh you know, as you said, look, I mean, uh, inauguration speeches are are aspirational um, and they are, you know, to some extent, soft and fuzzy. It's it's not hard policy stuff. Uh, um, sure. So, you know, and, and it, it depends on uh, what happens next as to whether whether we view this speech as, uh, hey, this was a, a really moment of unity or it was just, a you know, saying the right things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I will say something that 
you know, for uh, to, to jump ahead a little bit, and and this will probably erase all the the uh, the, the good points I just earned with our, our liberal listeners. Um, you know, what struck me was as he is speaking about um, uh, you know God and starting afresh and 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 all this, I and and speaking these these really great words of unity and we're not enemies uh, uh, and. <laughs> You know, at, at at that same moment, the the letters are being delivered <laughs> to the NLRB, uh, to the uh, place, and saying, uh, "Get out of here by by uh, two o'clock, or you're fired." Um, Almost and, like you don't want the NLRB general counsel to be someone who's aggressively anti-labor. How sure. how strange! Oh, and um, I know, and I, I get that. I get that. Um, and I, but again, this is someone who is. Uh, this is the first time in in 47 years this has ever happened, and and say what you will about Donald Trump, but uh, he didn't do that. This is someone who still had 10 months to to serve. Um, he had been confirmed by the Senate, um, but no, the 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 image I sort of played in my head. It's sort of like Michael Corleone at the the, the baptism, right? I mean, he's you know you reject Satan and all his works, and then it cuts to you know the. So, um, so are you saying what what uh, President Biden did was unconstitutional or exceeded his authority? Uh, it may have exceeded his authority in in in, in uh, as to the NLRB council. I think there's a I think there's a good question on that. I don't I don't think it exceeded his authority as to the um, uh, CFPB appointment. I, I think he does have authority to. Well, the to Supreme remove. Court has said as much. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I, so I think it's a little bit of a different situation where you have someone who has uh, Senate confirmation and has, has been confirmed for a, a certain term. I, I I would agree. Look, and I've said this before in the Trump administration, and I'll say it again now that I think a president certainly has the right uh, and, and really the obligation to, to put in his own team. Right. That's if we're going to have representative democracy, that's that's how it works, and and the executive needs to be able to have his own policy people in these these key places. Um, that said, where there's where there are are limitations, then uh, you know, th- then they those still have to be respected. And and I again, to me, it's maybe the the timing is a little bit, um, you know, that this 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 is the the first day, uh, you know, you know, literally as he's being sworn in priority, um, that, that, that strikes me as, as being perhaps inconsistent with, uh, hearing everyone out and, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, the, the, the unity that we, we talked about. Well, again, I think unity and hearing everyone out, there's a, there's a record of behavior and under, under Donald Trump, the NLRB basically uh, was as eager as it could possibly be to roll over to business and ensure that, you know, labor relations meant capitulating to the interests of business. And, and that's, you know, that's, uh, I, I would say what the Republican party believes, not because they hate workers, but just because they tend to see unions and organizing as a, as a bad thing that hurts almost everyone, whereas we on the left see unions and organizing as an, an incredibly important force for, uh, sure. you know, and so, and so in that sense, I don't, I don't see, it's certainly not a, it's certainly not putting a hit out on anyone. It's just saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to take care of labor because we believe in, we believe in that. And we're not going to have somebody, a general counsel at the NLRB who is anti-labor. And if certainly if, if he uh, wants to challenge that removal, I don't think he actually is doing so uh you know well, he has he hasn't yet yeah, yeah. It, it's it remains to be seen 
Yeah, it is um, a it is a it is a gray area whether or not he can be removed. I think at this point, no, it's, there's certainly not a a clear statutory authority to do that sort of thing. No, I yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd agree on that, but I, I I'm I'm just saying yeah. again, in contrast to the message of, um, and and let's let's set a couple things apart. The NLRB is is a um, sort of semi-autonomous mm-hmm. uh, organization, right? And it, it has uh, a number of, of commissioners um, who are appointed by various presidents and approved by Congress over the years. It's it's like the Federal Reserve, right? It's it's semi-autonomous. Um, so it's the the general counsel doesn't set policy um, for the for the NLRB. He's it's an he's an employee, right? Um, so I, I mean, I think that's that's a distinction worth making. And and you know, the NRB makeup has to do with folks who had been appointed over the years. There was a a dust up during the Obama administration where uh, he appointed uh, or tried to appoint uh, some extra commissioners, um, while the as he said, the Senate was in recess. the The problem was the Senate was not in recess. Um, so I, I mean, I'm I'm just saying, if if I'm a uh, conservative out there and I um, listen to the speech and say, let's start afresh and we're going to have unity and we're going to work together, and we're not enemies. Um, and then 15 minutes later, uh, it's you know the, the guy gets the note saying, clear out your desk in an hour and a half, uh, or you're fired. Um, those messages seem to be one, one could be, uh, one, it, you, you can understand why, why some might see some inconsistency in, in that message sure. as, oppo- as opposed, as opposed to list, as opposed to the, the more typical message of, uh, listen, um, well, for one thing, this guy had a, a, a term, right? This is a, a term that goes through another 10 months. Well, that, and that's let, – let, let's be clear on that. This is the gray area here because there is uh, – uh, there's Supreme Court precedent suggesting that a, a statutorial – statutorily, I can say the word. It's early for me. Fixed term is is a limit on that person's length of service but not necessarily a limit on the president's uh, authority to remove that person. In fact, even uh, – uh, John Roberts, back when he was White House counsel or an associate counsel, sorry, said that uh, his in his view that uh, the president had every right to remove the general counsel at the of the NLRB because that person served at the pleasure of the president. And so this this and I think that's that's a live argument. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. But I I hear, you know, not to get us too off track. I hear what you're saying. I'm not arguing the legal point here. I'm arguing the optics. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. And I think the optics are only going to matter. I mean, this is not this is not a high profile sort of thing, right? No. The, the only people who actually would even Which to me makes it all the more telling. But go ahead. Well, I'm saying the only people who would even know about this sort of thing are the people who are already pretty, I think, uh, high information people who already have their minds more or less, you know, made up. I mean, I, let, let's recall. I mean, you said you're you're going to you're willing to give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt, but I don't really think that means anything. And the reason why is because just you know a couple of months ago, you essentially said that Joe Biden was the road to socialism. I, I mean, more or less, and so. Giving, so I don't the NLRB know. thing has, has 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 raised my concerns. You know, I mean, I again, I'm not, I'm not. It it that may well be the case. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm saying, give them the benefit of the doubt. But um, can can you maybe if it would help if you could explain to me what what that means to you 
in, in practice by saying giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. I'm not, maybe I'm just misunderstanding. So I, w- I would say to me that means I am going to start with the assumption uh, that he is intends to uh, act not in a purely partisan manner, um, but act uh, for the best uh, interest of the country as he sees it. Uh, and in doing so, I mean, consistent with his speech, uh, you can have political adversaries, but they're not necessarily your enemies. Uh, it is not a matter of denigrating or or destroying um, uh, your your opponents. Uh, it's a matter of policy difference. And and just on this this little NLRB example, I think you can, you know, a, a way that that could have been handled. You could have sent a letter saying. Um, Listen, I'm the new president. Uh, I don't think our views are consistent. Um, uh, I'd ask that, uh, you know, I'd like to have my own uh, counsel installed there. Uh, here is the, the precedent on which I would be relying in doing so. Um, I'd appreciate it if you could give your two weeks notice uh, so I can start moving forward with this. That's That's a different kind of message than get out within an hour or you're fired. Okay. Right. Yeah, sure. I, and, I see. And, what you're and so, I mean, I think that's that's what I'm saying is, um, I I fully re- respect the president's ability uh, to pick his own people, and like I said, I think that's an important part of democracy. Um, but uh, I no, mean, that's that's not unreasonable. I see what you're saying because it was a, it was a sort of a a very quick ultimatum saying, yeah, if you don't if you don't quit today, you'll you'll be fired. So so sure, I, I yeah, I, a gesture could have been made to say, hey, you know, take take a few weeks, that sort of thing. And it's not like, as you pointed out, it's the it's the general counsel. It's not a, a policy position per se. So yeah, I, I think you're right on that. And I'll uh, I'll sort of uh, I won't say I retract my. I don't know if I was exactly being pugnacious, but yeah, I think you're right yeah. on that. I think well, you're no, right the on same. That. I'm, I'm the same same way with the the CFPB, right? And and I again, I uh, it's it's just a a matter of um, if we are going to you know to, to to quote Lincoln, right? That we move forward with with malice toward none and charity for all. Well, do I say that right, or do I say that is it no, the other way around? That's right, but uh, but but the CFPB thing's a little bit different because that I mean, there's a pretty clear statutory statutory, yeah, no, and no, it's no, also I, a policy making no, position. I, I absolutely agree with the 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 statutory because this is something that that Trump fought, right? I mean, the the issue last time was um, uh, the head of the CFPB, uh, Richard Cordray, stepped down, and uh, Trump tried to appoint someone. The CFPB said, "No, we're going to appoint our own person." Um, which is, if if you think about it, really kind of kind of ludicrous. But well, not ludicrous. Um, I'll, I'm going to push back on that. Not ludicrous because it was an open question given the given how the legislation, how the enabling right. uh, legislation for the CFPB was written, and the court actually, you know, concluded that there was a there was a defect in in that in that language. And so, but 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 saying that it's ludicrous, I think, would be going too far. Let me let me back up then. How about instead of ludicrous, let me say inconsistent with okay. the principles that I just sure. set forth about that that in in our government, you know, throughout these various agencies, uh, there ought to be some sort of political accountability eventually, whether that's with you know Congress who appoints or or dismisses or a president who appoints. That an agency can't just run its own show independent of uh, Congress or the presidency. Um, 
Yeah. But but again, again, my point my point isn't um, to to whether he has the power or not to do it, because I think he absolutely does. Um, but the if you're going to uh, handle it, the, the, the manner in which it's it's being handled. And, and in this case, the um, the head of the CFPB did, uh, you know, step aside and said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Joe, go ahead and appoint your own person. So. Sure. You know, one other thing I wanted to mention is something that didn't happen. There was a lot of word that or concern that there would be these big protests at state capitals, which were seen as much sort of softer targets in a way, not protected by the massive show of force at uh, the nation's capital. And yet that fizzled about as badly as any of those things. There were some instances where I think in, in, in Sacramento and Albany, there was like one guy who was there with a sign. And, right. and I'm wondering, I mean, it was, it was sort of a, a happily, you know, you could be happy at how pitiful that was, but it also, some people might say, well, what does that mean about white nationalist extremism? Is it, you know, is it as big of a deal? Do we need to worry about this sort of domestic terrorism? And I wanted to get your take on that because, of course, you know, our our state capital here, Columbus, was one of those places that, that there was thought to be the, the threat of some sort of real action. And like in pretty much everywhere else, it just didn't happen. Yeah. What, yeah, what do you make of that? Yeah. Goofballs show up. Yeah. Um, so I mean, look, this is this is kind of where I've I've always been on this this whole big uh, you know alt right white supremacy question is there just aren't that many of them out there, and I I, I really think um, I'm like th- this goes back way way back you know when you and I went to protest the Klan um, in Washington mm-hmm. and this was 25 years ago now yeah. Um, 30 years ago now. Oh, right? God, it's not even think about how many years ago it was. But, yeah, but, but there was, a long time there was ago. This, the idea that the Klan is watching. Mike and I were both uh, students living in Washington at the time. And uh, damn it, we were going to go down there and, and uh, uh, tell these guys they weren't welcome. And, and also, part of it was we were young and we're just there for the spectacle. Um, and and it all turns out. I mean, there were there were I don't know thousands, tens of thousands of of, of protesters, anti anti clan protesters, and maybe about a, a half dozen Klansmen actually showed up. We never actually saw any actual Klansmen. Um, the same thing has happened in, in other those kind of marches, protests, and there were some in Columbus uh, back when I worked there. Uh, and and the typical result was you you got just literally a handful of of these folks who are going to out and and show up. Uh, uh, Charlottesville, which was the big unite the right, uh, you know, big big piece of this. If you if you go back and look at the actual numbers, um, they when when you look at big mass movements and mass marches, they aren't that big. I mean, it's it's not to say this is insignificant, right? If you have you know, a thousand people who are who are angry, violent white supremacists. That's that's a thousand too many uh, in any given place. Um, but but it's not it's not, for example, the you know the the films that you see from like the 1920s of the Klan marching on Washington, of tens of thousands of, of these folks. Uh, the same goes for the the, the insurrection um, of of two weeks ago. Um, there were certainly people among that crowd and among the people smashing into the Capitol who uh, were white supremacists. Um, there were also a whole bunch who were just crazy QAnon believers. There were uh, there were a bunch of 
I think folks who were are just just nuts. There were some who were angry over over any any number of issues. And the left has this this instinct um, to paint everything and and as as it's a white supremacy play. This is racism, and for for a number I don't know for a number of reasons. One is it it sells politically, um, but I don't think that's the case. And and I think sometimes. Um, particularly as we're looking at, at uh, uh, Trump, um, Trump voters, uh, that's uh, that that's been a weakness, right? I mean, it's sort of the Hillary deplorable sort of thing. If you just write off all these people as oh, well, they're just crazy white supremacists, um, I, I think you're really missing something. And and uh, uh, I think the actual number of real white supremacists out there are are fairly few and far between. Again, that's not to say that that number is zero. Uh, or that it's it's acceptable in in any way, uh, shape or form. Um, but I, I I don't, you know, there was there was such this idea of this is a, you know a white takeover, a push kind of thing, of, and and I I just don't think that that jives with the facts. Well, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think it is important not to lump everyone under one label but i also think that the as you you know point out some of the people who are the most extreme and the most dangerous even if there are a handful of them that's a handful too many and you know yeah. we saw what happened in michigan before this and the and, and you know the capital there and and the plot to the the plot to kidnap and do harm to the missions michigan's governor and this and so you know even of course uh, in the trump administration's own uh, Homeland Security Department said that white white extremism, white nationalism is, is the greatest domestic threat to the homeland. And and it's clear that President Biden and the Biden administration is taking that very seriously, not just rhetorically in the inaugural address, but also in orders to really you know ramp up uh, investigations of this sort of thing, because it is even though I agree with you, it's certainly a very tiny number of people given the size of the country, but they can certainly do an awful lot of, of damage. And I think it's good that we're going to see a serious focus on that. Right. And, and I would, I would you know, I'll, I'll compare it and I'll, I'll do this. I mean, let's, let's look at uh, Islamic fundamentalism uh, terrorists, right? And, and to say that uh, there are Islamic fundamentalist terrorists in this country, yes, that's absolutely true. Um, is is there a a large growing movement of them uh no it's it's uh it's people here and there it's small cells uh those are absolutely dangerous and they need to be investigated and shut down and the same goes for white supremacists domestic terrorists i so i, I and i guess that's that's sort of you know i i think I, I you can draw a line between people who are truly criminals and in criminal intent uh, versus a lot of folks who are just kind of angry and disaffected. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. I agree. So it's, it sounds like we're we're more or less on on the same page on this. I would say. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that, let's just take a quick break, and then we will be right back and talk about Joe Biden's not his words, but his executive actions. So, as expected, the Biden administration began with. Uh, bunch of executive actions, and they focused on a lot of things, you know, pandemic response, immigration and border security, climate, LGBTQ rights, 
the standard freeze of all pending regulations by the previous administration. And I thought the place we could start is the main focus of executive action so far, and that's pandemic response. There were a bunch of orders in this area from President Biden. They included things like masks on all federal property, federal workers and contractors, masks at airports, uh, expanding testing, increasing treatment access, data collection, guidance on reopening and keeping workers safe, using the Defense Production Act to fill supply shortfalls, bringing the U.S. back in the World Health Organization, creating a national COVID response coordinator, extending those eviction and foreclosure moratoriums, extending the federal student loan repayment pause, increasing food aid, and that commitment to 100 million shots in 100 days, which looks to be pretty much on track at this point. There's a lot there, Jay. Uh, So let's just start with your general reaction to the COVID-related executive orders. Well, I, I would say, as you might expect, um, some of those I like better than others. <laughs> sure. Uh, some of them, I, I think, are are really sort of symbolic uh, as opposed to uh, uh, accomplishing anything. My, my sense is that most federal buildings and most federal property, uh, people were already required to wear masks, uh, you know, just by the, the building order, by the state order, by... Uh, but as you know, if you got an executive order, that that sends a message too. Um, uh, although there was a really fun exchange with uh, Press Secretary Jen, Jen uh, Saki uh, later in the week uh, regarding that. Um, but uh, uh, things like the um, uh, eviction moratorium, um, I, I was I didn't like it when Trump did it, and I, I I'm not crazy about it now just because. Uh, I I don't know that that's within the president power of the president to unilaterally uh, suspend contracts for, for people, um, you know, across the country nationwide. Um, and, and I'm, and that's, I'm not arguing that it's, it's bad policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my point is, I, I don't know that that's something that, uh, a president can do just do by a stroke of a pen. Um, similar, I think that, think, that's being done under, under public health, uh, sure. under public health emergency powers. Right. Which, which again, to me seems kind of, it, it's I think it's I think it's a stretch and uh, um, I don't think it'll really be challenged. Right. Um, right. But but nonetheless, look, if, if you're if you're somebody like me who who thinks a lot about uh, what can the government do and what can it do? I, I think it's a, a I think it's a, an important question. Um, that said, I, w- I would agree that state governments could could certainly do that. Uh, state courts could do that. But that's another that's another issue. Um. On the you know a million shots in so many days, I uh, that strikes me as one of those sort of aspirational orders of okay, well I'll, I'll you know the, the president can't just order things into reality; he can set goals and hopefully that that happens. Um, if it doesn't, I'm not sure what the consequences would be. Um, and he's getting some pushback for making that goal not ambitious enough because it, yeah. right now it seems like, well, yeah, that's, we're pretty much on track for that. So why not increase it? Uh, and I, I think uh, – Well, because, because then if you don't – if you don't – if you get the million shots, you can you – There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And say, look, I did it. I said I wanted a million shots. Sign the sign the order. A million shots. Yeah. Um, and again, to me that uh, – you know, so, so I look at those things as uh, – I, I don't think there was ever any – sense of uh uh you know let's let's slow down the shots uh, beforehand so no. so regardless um on on some of the other issues I, again i i don't have a, a big 
um, you know, there, there's no real objection to be had. A lot of it's stuff that was was being done already. Um, so on, on the COVID front, I I don't have a lot to complain about or argue about, other than what I just pointed out with the yeah. the rental thing. I think some of this is outside of the health power of the um, uh, of the president. But um, yeah, to me, this is what a real national response looks like, and it would have been great to see something like this. You know, uh, eight, ten, uh, eleven months ago uh and and so better late than never i suppose certainly and it's pretty clear that that joe biden and the biden administration uh treat this with all the seriousness that it deserves to be treated with and that's of course in marked contrast to you know the previous administration at least at the very top where you know the president was well he he, he was who he was on that on that issue. And so, you know, you had, you had Dr. Fauci a few days ago saying, it's kind of nice to, you know, be able to say what I say, say what I think the science says, as opposed to feeling like I'm being, you know, squelched and, and, and that sort of thing. And so I, I certainly applaud this. And I think this is particularly important given that it seems very likely that we're going to hit, you know, half a million deaths from COVID within the next month or so. We've already surpassed that 400,000. And, and to me, this goes, and we'll talk about this, if not on this show, on the uh, on the bonus show about the, the Trump record. And for all the good that some people may argue he's done in some areas, I wouldn't be one of those people. But I know some people can make uh, a not you know unreasonable argument about that. I would say when you look at the covid response in the United States compared to other rich developed countries it it's just it's it's grim it, it, you know it really is in in deaths per capita we're the 11th worst in the world right there between north macedonia and bulgaria uh you know uh, fifth worst of the 37 oecd countries uh, you know compare us to say canada which is 52nd worst that's more where you'd want to be and cases per capita were really bad so and you know not all of that is part of that is uh, well, to, some some things go to things like population density and and so sure. forth though, too. And when you're comparing Absolutely. us with say Canada, Absolutely. But I don't think there's anyone who would realistically look at the response by the Trump administration and say job job well done, fellas, you know, uh mm -hmm. folks. And so I'm I'm really happy that that the Biden administration is doing what they're doing and, and I think it's going to matter. I think it's going to save lives. All right. But I mean, I, you know, something else I, I I didn't mention a second ago were were other things that that you had mentioned about guidance to schools and so forth. Mm -hmm. That uh, again, I would put that in the category of uh, I'm I'm not. It's it's a little troubling um, uh, in in terms of uh, you know I guess is this is a uh, I, I think there's there's a a very good argument that uh, kids should be back in school as soon as possible. Uh, given the relatively low risk uh, of, of transmission and and serious consequences of kids versus uh, the the high risk uh, of of being out of school both educationally socially uh, and for a lot of those students who who depend on schools for for a variety of, of other services and are are not well equipped at home to to learn at home um, and so President that, Biden agrees with you. Uh, so well, I, and that, yeah, I know, I, I, and, and I, that and that's you know part of the 
part of the push there also is that push toward increased testing certainly yeah. is going to help. And so I think getting, I think everyone, just about everyone agrees on the importance of opening schools and having schools for in-person learning as as soon as is possibly Well, not everyone, safe. but I almost, think that's why I said almost everyone. Now, there would be some, some teachers unions that would disagree with you uh, quite vociferously. Uh, on on that, I but, don't think they disagree uh, on that. I think they would disagree on what constitutes a safe environment. All right, fair enough. So, so yeah, but why, why don't we why don't we move on then? Because it seems like you have some sort of niggles on this, and, and you know issues about state power. But for the most part, you looked at the the, the president's actions on COVID, and you were like, yeah, yeah, okay, right? Yeah, so, I, I'd say that's that's a good summary. Yes. All right. So let's move on to immigration and the uh, the president's actions on immigration include rescinding the border wall emergency, halting new construction, uh, preserving and fortifying DACA. I will talk about that, I'm sure. Ordering that all residents of the United States, regardless of citizenship status, be counted by the census, which, you know, is what has been done in the past. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's see what else. Ending discriminatory travel bans on entry to the United States. And there's a big one here. Introducing, but, banning, but creating other travel bans. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, yeah. Introducing legislation that provides enhanced border security and infrastructure in, in line with, and here's the big part, legal status and the path to citizenship for the you know, 10 and a half million or so undocumented immigrants currently living in the United States. So I, I get the sense, I'm, I'm betting, Jay, that there are going to be some things we're going to disagree on a little bit more here. So what's your, what's your take on the president? Actually, I mean, look, look, uh, would I disagree with some of these from a policy perspective? Yes. Sure. Um, uh, you know, but, but the executive order giveth and the executive order taketh away. Uh, at least that used to be the way it, it, it was. Um, and I think it, it probably should go back to the, that, that normalcy of it. Uh, um, but, uh, so, so on things like the, the, um, the travel ban, um, from certain countries, uh, as you'll recall, I was never a particularly big fan of that in the first place. Um, in terms of, of its efficacy, uh, my, my sense when Trump did it was, uh, it was sort of a waste of political capital, right. To, to do that right out of the gate. Um, so I, I, you know, even on policy grounds, do I have a, a big issue with that? No, not not terribly. Um, do I have an issue with the uh, border wall funding? Again, um, that I would have a policy difference on um, because I think border security is uh, important. And I think it's going to be much more important if we're going to have a path to citizenship. I, I think it's it's sort of what you know, the sine qua known uh, to a path to citizenship is you have to secure the border. Uh, and this is the argument that that uh, people have been having since the 80s, right? As, as you know, can uh, I think there are, are plenty of Republicans who would support a path to citizenship, but first they would say, let's secure the border uh, because otherwise uh, it, it just isn't going to work. And, and there is a, a caravan on the way from Guatemala uh, right now that, <laughs> that you know, I, all I mean, the caravans. I, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. Um, it, it, it is. And, and <laughs> Biden has said, hey, hey, guys, stay stay where you are uh, until we get this worked out. Now, that's that's exactly my you know, the problem is if if we don't have border security and uh, uh, you just uh, open the doors and then say, OK, you're going to have a, a path to citizenship. Um, 
that that creates a a very um, uh, bad and I'm talking like Trump um, uh, <laughs> incentive for for illegal border crossing um, as opposed to an orderly um, assimilation and, and moving people in and getting them uh, uh, you know setting them up uh, as as citizens so that's that's the policy piece of it um, on the executive order piece does he have the authority to do it I think he does um, well I, I I would I don't know that I disagree with you but kind of in general I think the question is what what do we mean by border security and that there's the rub I, I certainly think that we need much expanded border uh, uh, crossing point infrastructure at which has been I think very much neglected right. I think there are a lot of things that are Not actually wall, but infrastructure. Yeah. Well, I think a, yeah, a lot of things I think are more effective than than walls. And, uh, you know, that that's been the focus, right? Build a big, yeah. beautiful wall. And I think yeah. that that's unfortunate because that sort of symbolic type of thing has made it harder, I think, for a lot of people to really consider, well, what what sort of border what sort of border security, what sort of protocols do we need for a safe and orderly process of people right. doing things like applying for asylum and, and being able to enter into the United States in an orderly and legal way. And, and those are yeah. important Amen. questions. No, and you and I are, I think you and I are uh, lockstep on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, although, I mean, I would, I would argue that the infrastructure to some extent, it has, there has to be some sort of physical barrier uh, in, in some places. Um, right. I mean, that doesn't mean a, 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 Border long, fifty foot high, beautiful sure, wall. Yeah. Um, but but otherwise, I, I think it's it's just sort of a, a fool's errand. Yeah. I mean, if you just say, okay, here's here's the place where you're supposed to report, uh, and folks say, well, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd just rather not. Sure, um, sure. You know, yeah, and I don't think I don't think the Biden administration is going to tear down all the border wall that's there, right? So I mean, because you know, under Democratic and Republican administrations, there have been border wall areas and i don't i don't see that changing and for for good reason right so i think one thing though you know we're talking about executive orders and seeing that the president has the authority to do these things i think one thing we will both agree on is that president biden doesn't actually have the authority to preserve and fortify daca I uh, absolutely yes. I mean, we we've been talking about this since the Obama admit the end end point of the Obama administration, the very beginning of this this you know when we started this podcast, saying that hey, maybe we maybe we believe, and I I believe certainly as a matter of policy that dreamers, that kids who came to this country as as, as minors, uh, certainly shouldn't just be summarily tossed out and should have some sort of legal status and path to citizenship, but saying well we are going to exercise prosecute prosecutorial discretion and not bother prosecuting any of them is essentially ignoring the law. And that's not okay for a president to do. And so President Obama decided he would push the envelope and and do that. And uh, President Biden, not surprisingly, is doing the same thing. But I I agree with the intent behind it, but I agree. I agree with the Trump administration on this. That that actually is uh, goes further than the executive can go. And I expect that when this gets to the Supreme Court, and I think it will, there's a case in Texas right now in the in, I believe district court. I think the Supreme Court will rule that this is actually an unconstitutional exercise of executive authority. And I think that's the right ruling. 
Yeah, no, I, and I, I uh, would agree with you. And the good news is that kicks it back to Congress, which is where the, the debate yeah. actually ought to take place. And and I, I think there is and has been for years a, a potential deal out there um, where I, I think there are plenty of, of Republicans, plenty of uh, conservatives who would support uh, a DACA type uh, path to citizenship program um, provided adequate uh, border security. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the tough thing because already there's a lot of signals that what what President Biden has introduced is just not going to fly in the Senate. And I hope it's just sort of the initial stages of a, of a negotiation and not just that we're not going to do this full stop. And because I think you're I, I expect you're on board with the general outlines of that path to citizenship that the proposal outlines. But again, it's a question of, well, and, and admittedly, the border security part of it is much, while, while it calls for enhanced border security, it's very fuzzy on that. It's much clearer on the uh, on the path to citizenship. And I would expect that you and, and Republicans in the Senate would want something much, much clearer and probably much more than in the initial proposal. Yeah, I, I that's 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 correct. I'm not going to speak for the the Senate, but um, uh, I mean that's that's certainly my sense of it. And and I I guess yeah. the the issue that again gives a lot of of conservatives and Republicans pause is when this debate always happens. Um, uh, there there is a sense on on the right of hey we're willing to do a path to citizenship and uh, yeah this looks uh, pretty reasonable, um, but. But yet there's always opposition on the border security piece, which is troubling. Yeah. Do, right? do you and think it, it, it makes us ask, well, well why? If, if this is really the the intent, uh, then then why not secure the border? Yeah. Who wouldn't want to secure the border? Yeah. Do, do you think Chuck that Schumer doesn't not at all? Not at all. But do you think that there will be a deal on this? Do you see this as being a uh, something that is a real possibility that there could be? Uh, there could be legislation on this. Here's here's the problem, um, and and I will put on my my cynical political hat, which okay. which sometimes you like, sometimes you don't. Um, is Democrats hold most, if not all, the cards on on this issue? Um, and and that is, you know, there was there was a potential deal back in the Bush administration. Uh, on this issue, and and the guy who tanked it was Barack Senator Barack Obama. Um, uh, there were numerous potential deals uh, throughout the, uh, uh, the the Trump uh, uh, administration, um, and every time my sense is that Democrats would much rather have uh, the issue than have a solution. Um, and and by by doing this, uh, you know they they know they can get it. Republicans can't vote for something. Uh, that doesn't have some sort of, um, uh, you know, robust border security, and they can't, they shouldn't vote for it. Uh, and and in fact, uh, Bush got pilloried for that um, uh, late in his, his administration. Um, so the Democrats have it sort of in on on both sides. They can beat up uh, Republicans for saying uh, you're mean to the the DACA kids, uh, you hate immigrants, uh, you're racist, etc. And uh, if, if any of them sort of move towards uh, conciliation without some kind of border security, they're going to get it from from I would say not just their right wing, but but I think really from kind of the center of of the party. There are a whole lot of, of Republicans who are, are 
just law and order Republicans, right? And then they don't have any particular animus against uh, immigrants. In fact, many of them are are children, grandchildren of immigrants. Um, but uh, their their uh, four parents uh, uh, came here through whatever the legal processes were, and they they expect that everyone else ought to. And I, I think that's that's a not insubstantial um, number of people. So I that's I think it's it's tough because. Um, the Democrats can keep playing this, um, you know, all, all the time and, until, uh, you know, so, they lost the filibuster or, or, or get, uh, get the 67 votes. So, so then your view on this is that this would have been a done, done deal if, if only, uh, if only the Democrats would stop playing politics with it and Republicans aren't playing politics with it. No, I think Republicans obviously are playing politics. Okay, I just want, I, I, that's why because I think you can make the same argument the other way around instead of instead of saying you know the you hate immigrants it's well you just want open borders and so I think both sides to a certain extent see the value of having this as a, as a live as a live issue. But I yeah, think no, that, I think there, there is there okay. is some value, but I think the Democrats hold more cards, and for the reasons I I just I just uh, elucidated. Um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, my, certainly. My question is, why why wouldn't you want more border security? Well, I guess it depends on you know what to what extent you know to what, what extent you're talking about, right? I mean, in terms of obviously uh, the wall type issue, yeah. And and I think you're right that there are some people on the left who just reflexively say, well, any border security is bad. And there are some right. people, you know, and way there are out some there. on the left who are op- uh, openly. Open borders. Yeah. And just like there are some people on the right who say, you know what, keep America, you know, white. And uh, we don't want those. We don't want those uh, brown people from, you know, from down south. And so but they're not representative of a lot of Republicans, you know. Right. But so, but, uh, so some of the open border folks, I, I think, do have a larger say um, uh, in, in the halls of Congress, certainly, than than. You know these folks who you 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 would describe as nativist. I don't know. Uh, I think there are public. plenty of, uh, but uh, well, well, we'll see. I I am less uh, I am less optimistic about any sort of a deal happening, maybe than you are. But I I certainly hope uh, I certainly hope we. I can. wasn't very optimistic at all. <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. I'm even less optimistic. So, uh, well, I'll tell you what, let's just take one more quick little break, and when we get back, we'll talk about the president's orders on LGBTQ protections, which some on the right are having some real problems with. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I wanted to get into this. I mean, many cultural conservatives were very upset with President Biden's order on LGBTQ protections, and that doesn't actually change existing law in any way, because of course it can't. It's an executive order, but it's more of a, I guess I'll characterize it as a broader interpretation of the uh, of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits discrimination because of sex, and that's the phrase. Now, in, in Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia, this was a case the Supreme Court decided in 2019, the court in a six to three decision held that with Neil, in, with, uh, Neil Gorsuch writing the majority opinion. Yeah, and, and the decision was that an employer who fires someone just because they're gay or transgender does in fact violate Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Now, the Trump administration said, okay, but that's as far as we're interested in taking it. The Biden administration with this with this order is is signaling pretty strongly that 
They're taking it further, and this also, Title VII also applies to things like restroom use, locker rooms, right. school sports participation, health care, and housing discrimination as well. And as I said, a, a number of cultural conservatives are pretty upset with that. Jay, you consider yourself, I think, in a lot of ways, a cultural conservative. So, I, and I guess you're probably a bit, you have some I'm issue. pretty upset about that, so, Mike. Well, yeah, why, why, don't you, why don't you explain? Well, I, I think look looking back, first of all, I mean, I, I was not a huge fan of the Bostock decision um, for a number of reasons. We we talked about it back then. It's really kind of Gorsuch writing it, but it's still sort of tortured logic to get to um, where he he got on on that question. And I think the the much better result would be if if Congress wanted to amend the, uh, Title Seven, Congress could just amend Title Seven. But that ship has sailed. Uh, and in in Bostock itself, the court still recognized limitations on its its own ruling and said, "Look, we're not making any rulings as to uh, restrooms, accommodations, locker rooms, uh, sports, all that stuff." They spelled it out in the opinion. Um, and when you say the executive order isn't law, well, yes and no. I mean, it's 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 not law. Uh, yet, but is it is sort of a directive to federal uh, agencies that they can seek to enforce this as law, and uh, you know it, it depends on what the courts are going to say. So it, it opens up a lot of um, uh, organizations to to federal suit, federal uh, 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 you know <laughs> intervention with what they're doing. Um, so I, I think it's it's bad from from that standpoint, just on the, the basis of uh, getting the federal government uh, involved in all sorts of, of local uh, uh, agency, yeah. local local governments. Uh, let um, me say, I let me let me say, I agree with you on that first point you made. I think the ideal outcome here would be if Title VII were amended to say because of sex or gender orient and gender right. oriented or some. You know, words to that effect. And that Congress make it, can spell it out and have all the definitions and make it much clearer. And it's not just this fuzzy. Exactly. Maybe the courts will buy it. Maybe they won't. And this is a conversation that you and I have a lot. And we we invariably agree that legislative uh, le legislative action is better than a regulatory agency's interpretation. And so that's exactly that. And so I agree with you that while the Biden administration is not changing the law, they're taking a very fuzzy set of words, a very fuzzy phrase, and interpreting it in a broader way because... And it's proceed at your own risk is the message yeah, to all yeah. these... Because if you say, well, here's, here's, I think, how a lot of folks on the left look at it. If you say, well, this prohibits discrimination because of sex. And if by sex you also mean, uh, for lack of a better, more fitting term, gender orientation, then if that, if, if, if it, if that means discrimination in employment, well, then it also should mean discrimination in any other way because of sex. And so right. our, uh, the logic is, well, why would you limit that? And I think that gets to your point about the tortured, what you saw as the tortured logic, logic in, in, the, in the decision, right? So why would, yeah. it, why would it be limited? There's, well, there's no, there's no real reason. If you say because of sex really means sex also includes this idea of sort of your own your gender orientation that that again for lack of a for lack of a better term here so yeah i i i think that that's that's the correct that's the correct interpretation given uh given that 
interpretation if you say because of sex means also gender and gender your gender role that you you know that, that you see and so but but I think it'll be challenged and I expect that the court will actually overturn some of these things because just for the reasons that you cited is that the court did in fact say well we're limiting this even though I don't necessarily think that logically follows yeah now so then then going to the, the policy piece of it um Again, to me, it's it's troubling uh, in that I, I think to to a certain extent, when you when you look at, uh, especially and you're talking about uh, education and and kids, and um, there's there's a lot going on, and there are a lot other a lot of other concerns that schools need to address uh, beyond just any certain student's gender identification, right? And uh, I, I think. Parents could be rightfully concerned about, uh, hey, is there a, a someone who's a biological male using the same locker room uh, as as my daughter? Um, in some cases, I think those concerns are overblown, um, but but I, I think they're not they're not irrelevant, and and this this sort of leads to these sort of cultural wars where the, when when the left just kind of sneers at, oh you. Um, uh, you, you, uh, uh, you know, backwoods oafs, um, uh, you know, with, with your, again, clinging, bitterly clinging to these, these old st stereotypes. Um, I think that's an issue. Uh, women's sports, I think is even a bigger issue and especially at the collegiate level. Um, because I will say it at the risk of, of, uh, all the hate that's going to come my way, but men and women are, are biologically, physically different, and and men are on average stronger and faster than women, um, and and I do think it's going to be a a, a real hit to um, uh, girls' high school sports and and more so to women's college sports, um, where uh, parents are, I mean are are, are you going to watch your um, daughter playing against uh, you know playing in soccer against someone who's a, a biological male? Um, Soccer is a tough sport. Um, my kids played for a number of years and, you know, we had plenty of knockdowns. And uh, so I, there, there's that. And there's also the, the question of uh, do will women uh, want to pursue these sports when uh, they know they they may face competition from biological men who they will never be able to beat? And and that's that's a, a fact of life. And it's, it's occurred. Uh, I think in in uh, college sports already to to some extent you've had uh, transgender uh, athletes who are biologically male um, who have you know broken all kinds of of records um, and uh, you know as as you might expect and 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 sometimes it's just uh, I think that's that's bad for if if our goal is to empower young women through sports which I think is a great thing to do um, this really sets that back um, I I uh, agree that. These concerns shouldn't be just dismissed out of hand, and that anyone who raises these concerns shouldn't just be labeled as, uh, you know, anti anti gay or, or what have you. I think I think that's that's absolutely fair because it, these seem to be you know things that need to be considered. Uh, but also, I think as as you pointed out, that sometimes these concerns can and are overblown for various reasons, right? I mean, uh, there are, I think, at least 16 states that for a while now actually have allowed, have policies that uh, allow full inclusion of uh, transgender students in, in high school sports, at least, and that has seemed to have gone off 
at least not horrifically. It hasn't been, isn't the phrase I think some people are using, erasing women or something like that. And it's that sort of rhetoric, I think, that's that's that makes this more difficult to navigate this issue. And I think there needs to be an acceptance that you can have legitimate because one, you know, one thing that was raised is let's say you're a, you're a survivor of uh, uh, of rape or some other sort of some other sort of violence, and you can have uh, if you're a woman who survived that you can have you know legitimate issues with yeah. say having biological males in your you know your restroom, and and I think we need to be sensitive to these issues and not just assume that whoever is on the other side of it must just be, you know, either anti-women or anti-gay or something like that. Right. Yeah, no, I, that's, yeah, and and I, I and that's, that's, but the, the, the trouble is, um, you know, I, I think with, with this, um, federal bureaucracies are generally not good with subtlety. And and that's um, that's the problem. In fact, yeah. in fact, it's sort of their job not to be good at subtlety, right? It's it's their job is the big the big hammer into, um, and that's that's why I'm I'm not uh, not at all enthused about uh, and, about those those orders. And I get that, and that that is the problem. And the, I mean, the order itself is pretty pretty vague. It's just about you know directing agencies and that sort of thing, but. It is difficult to craft these things, and this is another conversation we've had more than a few times. Is in a in a better world, what would happen is that if there say were and this is just a off the top of my head example, if there were say a, a student who uh, a male student who identifies as female, you know that that student would be able to let the uh, the folks at the school know, and they would try to work out some sort of sure. accommodation yep. and so forth. But then there are issues of well, why should this student have to? broadcast, you know, his or her, however, that, that person identifies with whatever pronoun, their identification when others don't. And these are, these are fraught issues, you know? And so you're right that just sort of a one size fits all solution runs the risk of really trampling over legitimate concerns on both sides. And I, I wish there were good answers to this and, and there just aren't, but certainly a good answer to this isn't just saying, well, you know what? Men are men and women are women and you just need to suck it up. If you have a X, then you need to go to this bathroom. And that's, that's not okay either. Um, yeah. And, and again, to be clear, that's, that's not really what I'm proposing. No, no, no. I, I think, I'm not saying I think my, yeah. my concern with, again, with the executive orders, it would have been easy um, for President Biden and, and whoever you know wrote up the the executive order and the, the civil rights folks uh, to say we direct uh, all uh, federal agencies to comply with the Bostock decision. Yeah, right? except that they believe without, it goes further than that. Yeah. The extra, but they're going for the extra, and and there's a reason for it, and and I think we will see. Within the next couple of years, there are going to be some 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 big suits on this. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm sure you're right. And I think that their reasoning for that is, I mean, I agree with the logic. I agree with the reasoning. But uh, again, in a in a better world, that there there would be less ambiguity about this. But that still wouldn't that still wouldn't change the fundamental nature of the problems that we're talking about, the real world problems, whether or not this is a interpretation of because of sex, or if it were just simply, well, the law were changed to because of sex or gender orientation, you'd still have the same real world problems. It would just from a legal standpoint, be a clear issue. Well, you'd also though, you'd have, um, if it went through a different uh, again, more democratic channels, there would be the sense of, of others' voices sure. were heard. 
sense. Sure. And that, I mean, and that, that works both ways, right? Because as you, you said earlier in the show, you know, executive order giveth, the executive order taketh away. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, we're, I think we're definitely in lockstep on that. And then, then finally, I just want to mention, as I said, the sort of standard, whenever a new administration comes in, they freeze all of the, uh, all of the regulations that aren't, haven't gone into effect from the previous administration. We, we expected that certainly that's yeah. no uh, that's no big shock and one other i guess thing that i should mention is in addition to this i expect that democrats in congress will quickly use the congressional review act and for people who don't know this allows any regulations that have been promulgated during the last 60 legislative days of the past session of Congress to be rescinded by a simple majority vote. It's not a it, it's not subject to a filibuster. Right. And that basically works out to any Trump administration regulations that went into effect that went into effect after around June 1st of yep. 2020. And also, once a regulation is rescinded through this, no substantially similar regulation can be reintroduced unless it's authorized by law. So that, right. not not that one would expect. No, there would be. Right. Yeah. Right. So but <laughs> this is but this is just another mechanism by which, uh, as again, as we see when there's a new administration that disagrees ideologically. And so we're going to I, I'm sure you agree that that's going to happen. Right. Yeah, that's going to happen. And there, there's and there's game playing that that people ought to understand too, and that something that the outgoing administration will do, will issue a lot of orders um, on policy pieces that they really like and would fire up their base and then, uh, you know, sort of force the other side to, to vote on it, right? So um, there, there's a lot that went on um, uh, in, in the Obama to Trump transfer. Uh, uh, for example, I mean, I, you know, President Obama uh, declared, I mean, half of the West uh, national park, um, and Trump then rescinded it, and the Democrats, you know, yeah. were able to fight back and say, "Look, he he hates parks." Um, there's some of those that are, are out there, and some of those you'll see. Uh, there there are two other orders I want to hit on just real quick. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and one is is sort of a policy of significance, and that's the Keystone XL pipeline um that uh the president has uh <laughs> once again rescinded that yes that's been forever my gosh yeah his, uh -huh. his pipeline guys like oh, come on man we, and 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 to me that's that's troubling in that listen the obama administration approved this five times uh and and came to conclusion that again this is the obama administration that the actual um uh the pipeline is better for the environment uh than than uh transporting uh, this oil by either train or or uh, truck, um, and and yet here we are. Uh, it, it's going to cost a lot of jobs, uh, union jobs, uh, steel jobs in Ohio or not Ohio, in, in, well in Ohio, but uh, throughout throughout the country. Um, and for for really what I think most would say is sort of a a sop to the the environmental left who just hates fossil fuels under under any circumstances. And I think there's a lot of problems also of uh, we can talk all we want about uh, solar, wind, and renewables, um, but for the time being, we're, we're still operating with fossil fuels, and I'd much rather have a, a source of that uh, either in the U.S. or real close in Canada than depending on, on people like the Saudi Arabians. Uh, the other piece that I think this is going to be an issue going down, down the road that we're going to see is to the extent we we push on this solar stuff, um, a whole lot of the uh, elements, the the trace minerals that are are needed uh, to make 
solar equipment uh, are found, uh, just like the oil is in Saudi Arabia, uh, are found in China. Um, and, and I think that's, that's going to be problematic, and, and um, we'll talk about that, that later. But I, I think a lot of folks also viewed the, the Keystone uh, sign-off and the NLRB firing as sort of offsetting, right? Uh, to the extent that uh, Biden upset labor with that, he tried. He did a makeup with getting rid of the NLRB general counsel. Um, so I think there's something there. The the other um, yeah. Let me just say on the Keystone before you get the other one. I, I that's that's an order that I certainly provide. I think it's a sign that the Biden administration is going to be to the left of the Obama administration, and I'm I'm okay with that certainly as well. And so I think that it. Shouldn't have been approved in the first place. I think there's a significant environmental cons- negative environmental consequences to it, and so I think that that was a very a very good move, and I was happy to see that. But I just wanted to get my my two cents in on that before right. you mentioned the other order. The the other order, um, and, and this is something we should really do a special show on some some point. Um, President Trump had created uh, what was called the 1776 uh, Commission. Yeah. Which was to kind of give a report on on the status of, of the teaching of of American history and some somewhat a response to uh, the New York Times 1619 project, uh, which uh, you know the 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 basis of of that is that America is founded uh, on and because of uh, slavery and and it really takes a, a views everything uh, in American history through that that racial lens. Um, so uh, Trump put together this this group. The, the panel had some folks who are, are notably conservative. Uh, Larry Arn of, of Hillsdale College, I think, was the chair. Uh, but you also had a, 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 you know, minority representation. You had folks from uh, various Ivy League schools and, and uh, 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 Princeton, Stanford um, uh, historians who, who weighed in on this. And they, they put together a report. And the report, well, you used to be able to get it uh, through the government, but uh, Biden on the first day took it down and uh, disbanded the the uh, commission. Um, and and that to me is a little bit of a troubling um, uh, statement, right? Again, if if this is uh, we are we are now all about uh, unity and getting along and and sharing our uh, our, our our commonalities uh, outweigh our differences. Um, if you read the, 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 uh, 1776 report and I'll send you a copy and you can still get it at the, the heritage foundation. Um, uh, it's, it, it comes across as really kind of non-controversial. I don't think, I don't think there's anything in there that you would say. Um, well, let me, no, with. gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Plenty of historians would disagree with it. I believe one of the things just off the top of my head is one of the big challenges. It said that of, uh, to, to America's principles in this report, along with slavery and fascism, they mentioned progressivism as a challenge to America's yeah. principles. I, I have a pretty big problem with that or, and there are plenty of historians and there weren't a lot of historians on this panel uh, who have a lot who point out a lot of problems with logic and reasoning here and not not just that I was just the idea I I would think that as somebody who cares about uh, a state's rights and is concerned about big government trying to tell us what to think that the idea that there should be some sort of national commission to direct patriotic education that that's creepy to me and, and very troubling. Uh, so yeah, well, you, you it's, take a look at what the take a look at what the progressives did. 
Um, I, w- I would think the uh, the folks uh, uh, who who were were uh, jailed for passing out pamphlets opposing World War One uh, might disagree that that uh, progressivism wasn't uh, in in uh, uh, opposition to some some fundamental American principles. But but like I said, that's why we maybe we need to save this for a bigger day. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 I pretty, I pretty strongly, I pretty strongly feel that the 1776 thing was, a, was a just a, a travesty and a horrible idea. And I certainly understand why conservatives may take issue with the 1619 project. But I also, I think there's a huge difference between a private media organization, like as Donald Trump liked to put it, the failing New York Times puts out its own little series, as opposed to the weight of the federal government behind some sort of national patriotic education thing which boy if that doesn't just that doesn't give you a little shiver of fascism i don't know what does well if, if you ever again i'll send you the report and and you should read it i mean because we should talk about this because i yeah and you can read I, the again, 1619 read, project and we'll talk about it yeah no and absolutely i mean i will um but uh i i because again the the idea that um and I'm and, and to to be clear, I I was I, I am a little bit uh, put off by uh, the government saying here's here's what's uh, you know patriotic and here's what's not. But uh, keep in mind, I think the government has a, an ability to to respond uh, and and to to criticisms um, and and to things like uh, the continuing focus that we're having on. Um, uh, on race and on uh, gender pol- or on uh, identity politics, right? I think that's something that is really toxic to to our system, um, and I think there is some good beneficial uh, government purpose in, in pushing back against yeah. it. And yeah, my, I think my other point is, look, that, have you ever been to the the um, uh, Smithsonian uh, National uh, uh, American History Museum? Oh yeah, you know, um, I have. Yeah. Of, of course, of course, the government uh, participates in setting yeah. forth. Um, statements about about its history. If you go to any, uh, you know, any Civil War battlefield, uh, right? I mean, the, the the government, the Park Service is is telling you. So I I don't I don't see it as uh, as fascist as as you do to say here's here's some folks who are giving their outlines about how they think um, uh, history ought to be taught and and sort of a criticism of of uh, you know, sure. the, the current current vogue. So yeah, well, I, and you're right. This really kind of what should be its own its own seg, full segment or show. And I think it, it this would be something that's worth that's worth doing at greater length. And and I'll just say that I I understand the argument about identity politics and so forth. But I feel that for hundreds of years, it's white identity politics that's dominated. And I think after just hundreds of years of, of, discrimi- of systemic discrimination, now that uh, now that it's time to sort of look at a lot of these things. But again, I, I know this gets us into an entirely different conversation where I think we have some pretty significant disagreements that would be that that would be good to, you know, that they are out. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, wow, this is an extended show. And, you know, we didn't even get to some really important things like, for instance, President Trump's pardons. And there was a lot going on with that uh, as well as and these are things we're all going to get on the midweek show, by the way. Uh, President Trump's pardons, his farewell address, how we see the Trump administration now that it's 
it's over finally, um, at least from my point of view. And uh, also maybe a little bit about the post-Trump Republican Party. Uh, will, will there be a Patriot Party? I don't know. But anyway, we're going to be talking about all that stuff on the Midweek Supporter Show. So if you are a supporter, you can expect to see that uh, in your feed on Wednesday. And if you're not, just go to patreon.com slash politics guys to sign up. And as always, if you can't afford to become a supporter and you want that content, just email me at mike at politicsguys.com and I will get you all set up with access to that. And there's also our PayPal and you can find out politicsguys.com slash support. And uh, well, and if you just want to get in touch with us for General reasons to comment, criticism, whatever, critique, mail at politicsguys.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find the links there in our show notes. Special thanks to our executive producers, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sosnowski. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you join us.